This episode of the Outside Podcast is brought to you by Honey Stinger, making fuel for athletes of all kinds using delicious honey and organic ingredients. One of those athletes is extremely laid-back ultra runner Courtney DeWalter. So every day I wake up and basically I just decide where I'm going to go, how far I'm going to go, and, uh, and then I let my legs and body and brain decide how big the day is going to be. If you don't know Courtney by name, maybe you know this theory she inspired. That in super ultra long distance races, running becomes entirely mental. And once it gets to that point, women have an advantage. The idea came up when Courtney started winning a bunch of races. And now people want to know, what's her secret? And I also, I read that you uh, you run with a toothbrush. Uh, just those little disposable ones. You know, some of the races I do are over 200 miles and it takes me multiple days. And you're just, you <clears throat> are taking in a lot of things like quesadillas and pizza and stuff. And so a little scrub of your teeth can feel really good going into day two. Like to remind yourself that you're still a human, I think. <laughs> In addition to being incredibly laid back for a world-class athlete, Courtney is a member of Honey Stinger's Hive, an inclusive community of all kinds of athletes that's all about learning and helping each other reach personal goals. Yeah, so I applied for the Hive because I use Honey Stinger products. I specifically like the waffles and the chews. And because I was already using them, I applied to be a part of the Hive, which you know brought me into the fold of this community of people who also use Honey Stinger products. The Hive is full of runners, bikers, kayakers, and climbers, and people who do a little bit of everything. And it's got both recreational and serious athletes, and people like Courtney, who run seriously but treat it like it's recreation. Find out more about joining the Hive at honeystinger.com sponsorship. From Outside Magazine and PRX, these are dispatches, stories from our writers in the field. Ladies and gentlemen of the class of 99, wear sunscreen. You might recognize this tape. It's probably the most unlikely summer jam of my youth. The long-term benefits of sunscreen have been proved by scientists it's called Everybody's Free to Wear Sunscreen. And it's just a bunch of things you should do. Advice. I will dispense this advice now. It's five minutes long with just a drum machine and some smooth backing vocals over a spoken word track. In 20 years, you look back at photos of yourself and recall in a way you can't grasp now how much possibility lay before you and how fabulous you really looked. It was a DJ here in Portland, Oregon, where I grew up, that cut it down to make it playable on the radio. And Portland kids like me started requesting it, over and over. It went to number one in the UK, number 42 in the US. For one summer when I was 14 years old, it was all over the radio. The pop songs were of wholesome guidance. Don't be reckless with other people's hearts. Don't put up with people who are reckless with yours. But a lot of what people think they know about this song is incorrect. There was originally a rumor that it was based on a commencement speech that Kurt Vonnegut gave at MIT, but it's not. Some people might tell you that it was actually written by the director Buzz Lerman, who made the Leonardo DiCaprio version of Romeo and Juliet, but it wasn't. 
And I think most people also think that that's Buzz Lerman reading, but it's not. Everybody's Free to Wear Sunscreen is actually voice actor Lee Perry reading a hypothetical commencement speech first published in 1997 by Chicago Tribune columnist Mary Schmick. There's even a line that Mary wrote that's often misattributed to Eleanor Roosevelt. Do one thing every day that scares you. So we got a lot of things wrong about this song. But today, we've got a story about how maybe the song got something wrong too. But trust me, on the sunscreen. I'm Rowan Jacobson. I've been a writer for Outside Magazine for quite a few years. And I recently wrote an article called, Is Sunscreen the New Margarine? Rowan's piece about sunscreen asked whether we've developed an unhealthy relationship to the sun and to sunscreen. The article has been viewed more than a million times, making it the most popular story in the history of Outside's website. It also provoked some pretty loud criticisms from people who argued that Jacobson had overstated the conclusions of what is still emerging science. And so, since we're now enjoying the longest, hottest, sunniest days of summer, we figured it's the perfect time to revisit Jacobson's reporting and the response to it. Frequent Outside Podcast contributor Stephanie Joyce talked to Rowan about his story and why it might be time to evolve our understanding of sun exposure and sunscreen. So maybe we can just start with a little bit about the history of sunscreen. When was sunscreen developed? I think the first uh, chemical sunscreen was invented in 1928, something like that. It was it was definitely in that era, uh, but no one had ever really used it. The first people that really used it were um, military people in World War II. W- one of the early sunscreens was called red vet pet which stood for like red veterinary petrolatum as in like petroleum it was like a reddish vaseline like thing that soldiers in the south pacific could smear on their skin to protect it and so that was world war ii but it was really only in the 1950s that people started using sunscreen like regular people hollywood stars say there's no tan like a copper tone suntan And why did sunscreen become popular when it did? Because, you know, it's funny. It didn't really take off, of course, until people started connecting sun exposure with skin cancer. And that was really the 1960s when some of that information started to, to appear. The sun has dried much hardier things than you. So imagine what it can do to your skin. Needless drying, wrinkling, burning. Enter eclipse. And it was ironic because at the same time, researchers were actually noticing pretty strong correlations between sun exposure and reduced risk of all these other internal cancers. But that kind of got pushed to the side and uh, the message became, you have to protect yourself from the sun. And of course, that picked up really in the 1970s and 1980s and has just continued to, the message has gotten stronger and stronger each decade. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% From of UV rays use sunscreen if you're going to be Only lying out at the beach, at the right? Beach? Nope. Anytime you're outside, UV to rays... To now, like the official rec- American Academy of Dermatologists' recommendation is there are no times when you should be exposing your skin to the sun without sunscreen or other protection. So in your piece, you talk to a number of scientists who are questioning that idea, that wisdom, that all sun exposure 
is bad. Tell me a little bit about what you learned about how likely it is that we're going to get skin cancer and how likely it is that that skin cancer is actually going to kill us. Yeah, and it's two very different um, answers to those questions. But it there's, there's sort of some built-in confusion there because there are different types of skin cancer. Most of the fatalities in skin cancer come from melanoma, but melanoma is actually fairly rare. It's like something like three people per 100,000 die from melanoma, where hundreds are dying from cardiovascular disease and hundreds more from cancers and other diseases. So um, people will talk about skin cancer and then they'll talk about melanoma and sometimes the two get conflated. Like if they want to talk about how deadly it can be, they talk about melanoma. But if they want to talk about how common it is and how it's connected very closely with sun exposure, they talk about skin cancer. But those of us who are not experts don't tend to to get them sorted out. So in our minds, we start to think skin cancer is really common and, and and it's really deadly. I definitely think that. Yeah, right. And it's not true. The common ones are not deadly and the deadly ones are not common. Why, why do we have that impression? I think in um, the authorities' minds, the thought is, why do people need any sun exposure? It could only hurt them. Because they haven't been looking at the, the benefits of sunlight. So if there's only negative things, then it makes sense to tell people to get none. It's like smoking, right? There's no upside to smoking, so tell people don't ever smoke. But then, of course, it turns out there are lots of upsides to, to sun exposure. One of the scientists who you talked to for your piece, who's been singing the praises of sunshine in recent years, in TED Talks and conferences, is Richard Weller. I mean, I'm a dermatologist. My day job is saying to people, you've got skin cancer, it's caused by sunlight, don't go in the sun. Tell me about him. Uh, I, used to, I just met him in person. I was just at a conference in Washington, D.C. last week, which was the first international conference on sun exposure and human health. And he was one of the, the 20 scientists who had gathered to, to talk about this. So he's, uh, he's super smart, very quick, balding, so he has to think about sun exposure. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but he's, uh, he's, he's just very outspoken and not hesitant to speak his mind if he thinks the official story is, is off, which he does in this case. Mm-hmm. And he's obviously gotten a lot of pushback for that, which I want to come back to. But why don't we just start with what does his research actually show? What what kind of research has he done and what does it show about sun exposure? So he studies the how sunlight hitting skin. This is one of the various things he studies. How sunlight hitting skin affects levels of nitric oxide in the blood. And um, the reason that matters is because nitric oxide is a vasodilator. It, it dilates your blood vessels so that your, your blood pressure drops. So high blood pressure is the number one cause of early death in, in the world. So anything that can lower blood pressure is going to significantly lower deaths from the, the whole syndrome of cardiovascular diseases. Well, I'm an experimental dermatologist, so what we did was we thought we have to expose our experimental animals um, to sunlight. And so what we did was we took um, a bunch of, of uh, volunteers and we exposed them to uh, ultraviolet light. So these are kind of sun lamps. So he did these studies where 
he took a bunch of grad students and shined sunlight on their skin. And then as a control group, he shined heat on their skin, but not sunlight because some people have thought that it's been known if, all right, let me back up a little. Um, so there's been these observational studies that have been done for years showing that people in the lower latitudes, closer to the tropics, have lower blood pressure than people in higher latitudes. People at lower latitudes are healthier in basically every way than people at higher latitudes. But the, the lower blood pressure one was really obvious. Australians have about a third less heart disease than we do, less deaths from heart attacks, heart failure, less strokes. And people, some people said, well, it's because it's warmer. People are um, more relaxed. You know, they had all these reasons what it might be. And Weather thought maybe it's just actually the UV light. It's the actual sunlight. And so that's what he proved with this test is that it really is as simple as sunlight hitting skin. That lowers your blood pressure, so it's going to reduce all of your rates of cardiovascular disease. Which is huge. I mean, that seems like a big deal. Like, un unlike the recommendations say, sunlight actually might be good for you. Well, and so for in this one case, yes. So it, it's definitely true. Sun, sun exposure does increase your risk of skin cancer. No one argues with that. But so his question was, what are the risks and benefits? Yes, sunlight is the, is the major alterable risk factor for skin cancer. But deaths from heart disease are 100 times higher than deaths from skin cancer. And I think that we need to be more aware of and we need to find the risk-benefit ratio. There's a way that scientists measure that this. It's uh, called disability-adjusted life years or dailies, D-A-L-Y. And basically, it just it's a measure of all the life years lost because of some condition. And cardiovascular diseases are far and away like the number one, the biggest source of dailies, of life years lost. It's like 14.5% globally of, of lost life years are due to cardiovascular disease. And sun exposure is like 0.1%. So like for every person, every life year lost because of sun exposure, you'd lose like 145 life years from cardiovascular diseases. So that he his argument is that um, if if more sun would mean less cardio diseases, it's well worth it. What are some of the other potential benefits of sun exposure? So here's so we should um, we should back up a little and talk about the sort of the other piece of this puzzle, which is that. Are we talking about sun exposure or are we talking about vitamin D? Because what's often been studied is the connection between vitamin D and various illnesses. When sun hits your skin, it produces vitamin D. And there's tons and tons and tons of evidence that people with high vitamin D levels have lower rates of all these different diseases. And then conversely, people with very low rate vitamin D levels have much higher rates of all these diseases. And that's why we've all been told to take vitamin D supplements. But there have been a bunch of studies, big studies about vitamin D supplementation, and it's failed almost every time. Like it's turned out that if you're just if you're taking if you're getting your vitamin D through a pill, your rates of all these diseases are not improved. Which means that the people who had a high levels of vitamin D in their blood and low rates of disease, it wasn't the vitamin D. The vitamin D was just a marker that they were getting lots of sun exposure. 
yeah, I mean, that's that seems super interesting because, yeah, you know, that we're now understanding like that the vitamin D isn't responsible for this. So something else is and that something else, it sounds like, is maybe sun exposure. That's what we're exploring. Right. So that this conference I was just at, but one after the next, the scientists would get up and present their findings. So we got to really go through a lot of, of um, different diseases that there's a connection. They like to have a lot of evidence under their belts before they start to really make, like, you know, overall recommendations. But there is plenty, plenty of evidence showing that people exposed to sunlight have lower rates of all these diseases. And the mechanisms are starting to appear. Um, here's, here's a really interesting one I just heard about. Uh, myopia, so short-sightedness. In China, in like 1983, 20% of kids were myopic or developed myopia. Um, 20 years later, 2003, 80% of kids in China are myopic. And now that it's e- even higher. And what's changed in that time is that China and, and other countries in Southeast Asia, which pretty much have the same rates of myopia, um, th- they've gotten super serious about education. The kids are in school all, all day, every day. They're never outside. And people thought maybe it was from like too much close reading or, or, or like, you know, looking at laptops and cell phones and books all day. But it turns out it's lack of exposure to sunlight that when kids are outdoors and sunlight goes in their eyes, those UV rays hitting their uh, retina produces dopamine and dopamine stops the lengthening of the eyeball, which is what causes myopia. So the cure for myopia is kids being outside, um, you know, for a few hours each day. And that just doesn't happen in um, in China anymore. Right. I mean, there's been this huge shift, you know, not just in school children, obviously, like most people work indoors. And I think, you know, one of the facts that I found, you know, most counterintuitive and maybe ironic in your piece is that outdoor workers actually have less skin cancer than indoor workers. Why would that be? Right. Um, it's it's a melanoma. Like outdoor workers have half the rate of melanoma of indoor workers, which, yes, which seems like it flies completely in the face of everything we've always been taught about skin cancer. But, well, there's a couple, I think there's a couple things going on there. One, I, I, I'd like to, I want to see the data a little more clearly because uh, people with darker skin have much lower rates of melanoma. And so if a higher percentage of outdoor workers are, are Hispanic, say, then they would naturally have lower rates of melanoma. But there's a lot of information out there showing that constant non-burning exposure to the sun reduces um, the incidence of melanoma and reduces the uh, the amount of it that's fatal. So it seems like melanoma is, it's, it's kind of like the spring break disease. You know, you're indoors hmm. for most of the year, you get really pale, and then you just blitz your skin in the sun in uh, Cancun for a week. And then you go back to your little, little like closet that is the perfect recipe for melanoma. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing I think is so interesting is like you're not arguing that we should all go out and get sunburns today. Like sunburns are 
definitively bad, and we know that. Right. So sunburning is when is you're like destroying your melanin cells, uh, and then they they have to rebuild, and they rebuild. They they're screwed up. Their DNA is screwed up. So then they rebuild wrong, and and they become cancerous. Uh, so sunburn is clearly bad. Everyone agrees on that across the board. Um, the group of scientists I was just with, they were trying to come up with like what would be a good blanket recommendation for for sunlight, like what would be safe for everyone. And they kind of, they, they couldn't agree completely. They're kind of in two groups. Most people were in a group that said, just don't burn. Like as long as you get sun, but you don't burn, it's going to be beneficial. The other group wanted to be more conservative and say, everybody should get 10 minutes a day without sunblock and with with like at least like 35 percent of your skin exposed but yeah but everyone agreed don't burn that's when things get bad interesting so yeah i mean obviously there's a big difference between uh trying to get enough sun in the winter in london where like if you need 10 minutes with 35 percent of your body exposed good luck <laughs> that that's sounds pretty thing. awful it makes it makes no <laughs> sense like th- there's no way i'm going to be exposing 35 percent of my body um, in winter i live in vermont right it's not gonna it's not gonna happen <laughs> i'd be losing parts of my body yeah. <laughs> whereas of course yeah in australia like that might be possible all year round exactly yeah At the top of the episode, we heard about Courtney DeWalter and Honey Stinger's athlete program, The Hive. And while Courtney might be one of the more extraordinary athletes in the program, it's full of all kinds of people. And you can hear about a lot of them on Honey Stinger's podcast, Hive Life. Welcome to episode three of Hive Life, a new podcast that tells inspiring stories from The Hive, Honey Stinger's remarkable community of athletes and adventurers. Hive Life is hosted by former Runner's World editor, David Willey. And on each episode, he goes deep with athletes about their hard-won secrets of success, sometimes even while they're out training. Most runners know that conversations they have out on the roads and trails are different. They're better. There's something about being outdoors, on the move, with endorphins flooding our brains. We tend to be more open, honest, insightful, self-deprecating, and in the moment. In March, it's the kind of show that's really good at giving you a little inspiration to keep you going if you need it. You know, it's funny, like, it was the same type of feeling that I got after my first marathon, where it was just such, like, elated feeling like you could kind of just conquer the world. <laughs> Find Hive Life at honeystinger.com slash hivelife, or wherever you get your podcast. So now I want to talk about sunscreen, because I think there's a bit of a leap between sun exposure being good and sunscreen being bad. And I think that's where a lot of the people who criticized your article found fault. So tell me, how do we get from a little sun being good to sunscreen being the new margarine? Right. And, you know, I think a lot of the people who are um, who, who believe that I was slamming sunscreen, it was, a lot of it, I'm not sure they got beyond my cheeky title. I did have that cheeky title, which, uh, you know, threw sunscreen under the bus a little bit. Um, yeah. But <laughs> sunscreen is definitely better than sunburn. Everyone I've talked to also agrees on that one. The qu- question is, like, are, are we overusing sunscreen? Are we being told to use too much sunscreen? And then there are also suspicions about other elements of sunscreen. And again, it, it all kind of comes down to this question of risk versus reward. Like, what are the rewards 
of applying sunscreen versus the risks. And it's not, it's not clear. Um, so I think there's going to be a lot more attention paid to the risk side of it. Sunscreen formulations have changed a lot. First, there were these really thick sort of like, you know, Vaseline-like ones. Then in the 70s and 80s, we got ones that were much clearer, but they only they only blocked UVB rays. There's There's two different types of ultraviolet radiation, B and A. And B is the one that makes you burn. Uh, and also can cause skin cancer. And so the sunscreens of the 70s and 80s blocked the B. So they you didn't burn, but it turns out the UVA rays also can give you skin cancer. And sun, the, those sunscreens didn't do anything to block the UVAs. So they may actually have been worse than nothing in that they were allowing people to s- spend much more time in the sun without burning, but they're still getting 100% exposure to all of those UVAs that can lead to melanoma. Let me just clarify that because, you know, one of the people who, Angela Lashbrook wrote a critique of your piece for the outline. And one of the things that she brought up is that, you know, one of the things you she thinks you actually got really right in the piece is that there isn't a lot of data that shows that sunscreen does prevent, even now, that really bad type of cancer. Is that is that true? Heavy sun, sunscreen users definitely have higher rates of melanoma. But if you can spin that all kinds of, of ways you want, it doesn't mean sunscreen leads gives you melanoma. What it probably means is that the people using lots of sunscreen are spending a lot more time in the sun than people who aren't. So it only makes sense that actually um, sunscreen use would correlate with higher melanoma. The, the evidence that sunscreen helps prevent melanoma is quite good. But... Um, Again, that it goes back to like how what's the right amount of sun exposure, and so now that we're being told to put on so much sunscreen, are, is is that preventing us from getting what would be an optimal amount of sun? And it's going to be different for every person, right? And sort of along the lines of what you're talking about, another point that Dr. Weller, the scientist from Scotland, brings up is that sun exposure guidelines are written for white people. That's the other really interesting thing, which I didn't know anything about until I got into this article. Uh, so Richard Weller, he he has a practice in Scotland, but he also spends part of his year in Ethiopia working in clinics in Ethiopia. And he says he's never seen a single skin cancer in Ethiopia. Skin's measured on a, um, a scale of type 1 through type 6, with type 1 being super, super, super pale, never tan, like you can't make a tan if you're type one and type six is mm-hmm. is like really dark. Um, if you've got like type five, type six skin, you basically don't get skin cancer. Uh, it's uh, you, you get a type of melanoma occasionally that's not associated with sun exposure, but skin cancer is just not a worry for you. And so the problem, of course, is that we're not seeing different recommendations about sun exposure based on skin type. It's just one size fits all. And really, those recommendations are being tailored to people with type 1 or type 2 skin. Not only that, you, you know, you mentioned in the piece that um, the cosmetic industry is pushing sunscreen on people with darker skin who who might not actually benefit from that in any way. Right. There's a, there's a push. Like, people with lighter skin have pretty much got the message that they need to use sunscreen. People with darker skin don't tend to use it as much, correctly so, but now... Uh, 
so that they're like the last frontier for expanding the industry. So there are definitely a lot of products being um, being tailored to people with darker skin, and they're really not necessary from everything I've been told by these scientists. But then the other thing that really, the, the, the shoe that's dropping now with sunscreen is, are all these ingredients in sunscreen really safe for you? And this has been a debate for a long time, and now it looks like, you know, the, like, the opinion is shifting toward like, oh, you know what, a lot, maybe a lot of this stuff isn't safe for you. And that was actually where uh, my title came from was because it just, it all kind of reminded me of the way public discussion went with margarine and with some of these other sort of like artificial products that were recommended to us in the name of good health that turned out to not really have been thought through thoroughly. So oxybenzone, which is kind of like the the one that people are most worried about here there it, it's it's been considered a like you know five star endocrine disruptor for a long time and there's um a fair amount of research linking it to to various diseases so the companies are already scrambling to get oxybenzone out of their formulations but of course it it's the thing that makes that nice invisible sunscreen work the other option is to go with more of like the the zinc or titanium based sunscreens the 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 mineral ones which are are much more of a thick physical creamy layer on your skin and i mean right now you know i guess if the option is between burning right getting a sunburn and putting these chemicals that may be harmful on our skin we know that sunburns are really bad for you. We don't right. necessarily know exactly the impact of putting these chemicals on our skin. So right, right. now, but then kind of feels like third which is worse. <laughs> What's the third option? Well, the, Tell me about the third. The third option, option is wear a shirt. <laughs> wear a shirt and a hat. <laughs> right, right. Wear a shirt and a hat. Don't maybe expose yourself to the sun in the middle of the day those things yeah or do do for 10 minutes in the middle of the day but then after that put your hat back on that was rowan jacobson talking with stephanie joyce you can read rowan's feature on outside online just google sunscreen is the new margarine which became its own search term shortly after the story was posted back in january this piece was produced by stephanie and edited by mike roberts it was brought to you by honey stinger making fuel for athletes of all kinds using delicious honey and organic ingredients. Find them at honeystinger.com slash hivelife. The Outside Podcast is a production of Outside Integrated Media and PRX. We'll be back next week.